We are continuing on in our series called Who Am I? We are in the book of Ephesians, and this is a a book written, it's actually a letter written to the church of Ephesus by Paul. And so we're turning to Ephesians. If you haven't brought a Bible with you today, then the wonderful Jack and James are going to stand up and they're going to hand out some Bibles. So pop your hand in the air if you would like to read along with us, just to make sure it's the Bible that I'm reading from. And that I haven't just made it up because I do go with the flow quite often. We're turning to Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. So the last kind of quarter of uh, your Bibles. Top tip, turn to your contents page if you're unsure. It's always an easy place to find Ephesians. We're in chapter 2. What I love about this letter is that Paul is both encouraging and loving the church with what he's saying. And busting some myths There are a few things that the church in Ephesus are just not quite getting right, and I love it the way Paul is pressing in what their true identity in God is at the same time as just correcting uh, some things. So we are going to chapter 2, verse 12. I do apologize, I have a really dry throat this morning. Um, Before we do read that, isn't it funny in the world that we're quite judgmental? I know all of you are not like this, because you know you're all good people, and as Christians, we don't judge people, like I know that. However, isn't it sometimes that we do? Like, quite often, thought will pop into your head, like, what are they wearing? Oh, sorry, Lord, didn't mean to think that. Or, what are they doing? Why are they speaking that way? Or, how dare they? How rude are they? Or, why are they living their lives like that? That's ridiculous. Don't we all catch ourselves in moments like that? Well, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. The world is a bit like that, isn't it? But the thing is, we all need to belong. It's actually a fundamental human need that's within us. So isn't it true that often we are the ones who are thinking, I don't fit because other people are looking at me and they're judging me and... I can't really go and speak to those people because I'm really not like them. They're not like me, and so I kind of don't fit over there. And I can't really go over here because these people, they're not like me either. And so really, haven't we all felt in a moment of, I don't actually know where I fit. I don't know where I belong because I'm not like them. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. What we're about to read is that that's a really human thing, and it's not how Jesus wants us to live So let's delve into Ephesians. We're starting in chapter 2, verse 12. It should come up on the screen behind me too. Paul says this. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But... Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it is true. And I just pray for us all this morning, Lord, that you would impart these words, that you would keep them fresh in our minds. Lord, that you would do something new in us through these words and that we would be changed because of them. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can see from these verses that there are tons of things we could talk about this morning. Even just in this little chunk of scripture, there are so many things that Paul is saying you are. So when we ask the question, who am I? Who really am I? I would just encourage you, read all the way through Ephesians. There are so many things you can speak over yourself just off the back of this. So when you're in those moments of, I don't know who I am because I'm not that and I'm not that and I'm not that. This is the truth of who we are. Let me just recap a couple of these things that it says we are before we delve into my three points. Verse 13, we are brought near. Verse 15, we are a new humanity. Verse 16, we are part of one body. Verse 18, we have access to the Father. Verse 19, we are fellow citizens with God's people. Also verse 19, we are members of God's household. Verse 20, we are built upon a solid foundation. Verse 20 also says Jesus is our cornerstone. Verse 21, we are a holy temple and a dwelling place for God. Now we could stay here all day and probably still not cover all of those things. But the one part of this that jumped out of me, out of me? Hmm? No, to me when I was reading it was the little phrase brought near. We are brought near. Because how often do we feel far off? I don't know about you, but quite often I feel far off uh, from many things. From God, from faith, from who I think I'm meant to be, to who I maybe really am meant to be. We often feel far off, don't we? But this little phrase, brought near, is what we're going to look at this morning. And the first part of that is verse 13 says, we are brought near to God. We are brought near to God. If you look at verse 12, prior to that, what it says is we are separate. So before we know God, we are separate from Christ. It goes on to say that we have no hope. I, I don't know how many of you in this room have had an experience of feeling completely and utterly hopeless. This applies to us whether we're a Christian or not. And it's not that because suddenly you know Jesus, that dissipates and you never ever experience again. But before you knew him, you had no hope. It's a scary place to be, isn't it? Complete darkness, complete hopelessness. Completely separate from him. And for me, 
what that looked like was I wasn't raised as a Christian. I didn't know God. I didn't uh, have generations of people praying for me. So when I thought of people who were faithful uh, and who knew God, it just completely was a disconnect from me. I didn't fit into that. I didn't know the things they were talking about. I didn't understand it. And so therefore, I couldn't be that. I'm far off from that. And so that's not who I am. So the flip side of that is my life is hopeless. And it's going to remain hopeless, clearly. Because that's not who I am. But that's not what Paul is saying here. You see, just before this, the bit that I've skipped is verse 11 talks about, and I didn't mention it because there's lots of men in the room. It talks about circumcision, guys. It talks about those who are circumcised and those who are not. Now, there's heaps of things we could say about that, but what Paul is getting at here is that if you were Jewish back in this day, you were circumcised. So in their heads, what happened was if you knew God, you were circumcised. If you didn't know God, you weren't. Now, I'm not quite sure how they were checking all that, if I'm honest. We don't need to talk about that. What he's saying is that there are Jews and there are Gentiles. I would have been a Gentile. Paul is saying Jesus came and made both people exactly the same. Jesus came not just for those that knew God. He came for everyone. That has to mean he came for you and for me. That has to mean that he came for the people that we don't know yet. That has to mean that he came for the people that we don't even like. That has to mean that he came for the people who aren't like us. It means that he came for absolutely everybody. I'm going to have a wee illustration moment just to really solidify this, because you know me. I like a wee demonstration. Callum and Lindsay, come and join me. You can give them a cheer. Now, being as my roots are in children's ministry, I owe this illustration to children's ministry. Callum, come and stand here right in the center because today, for the next five minutes, you are God. I know it's heretical. I'm very sorry. But right now, for this purposes of this illustration only, you are God. Lindsay, you are us. And that us is absolutely everybody. So follow me. Okay. So Lindsay, you're up here. You don't know God. I know he's your husband, but forget about that for a moment. You don't know God, and life's not all that great. I, for this illustration, am Jesus. So I want you to imagine there is a huge distance between Lindsay and Callum, God and us. You need to turn to Genesis in your own reading time to figure this out, but I'm going to really simplify this for you. So very, very many apologies for the simplification of what I'm about to say. It's probably not even a word. God and us. The reason the separation happened was in Genesis, the fall happened. That's a very Christian way of saying that Satan and sin came into the world when Adam and Eve were introduced to it by the serpent. They ate uh, an apple it brought sin into the world. Because prior to this, God and us were right together, okay? But now there's this huge separation. What this verse is telling us is that we are brought near by the blood of Jesus. We were brought near by the cross. That means that I, Jesus, took 
us, Lindsay. And by following Jesus, what happens is, moment by moment, as I get closer to Jesus, as I walk with him, as I think through all the many things that that involves in my life, as I apologize for all the things that I've got wrong, and as I submit every part of my life, what happens is you are brought near to God. You two can hold hands because they're husband and wife. You are brought near. You're not just brought near for that one moment where you say, yes, I'm a Christian. You're brought near and nothing can separate you. You can take a seat. We are brought near to God. There are so many people out there. There may even be people in this room who feel far away. Paul is reminding us that in that moment when you gave your life to Jesus, you were brought near. There is no distance between you and him. And what I love about last week, for those of you that were around our church last week for our Vision Sunday, we had the honor and privilege, I'm hoping that you've listened to it if you weren't here, uh, of announcing that we have a new name God has given us a new name, and it doesn't take place, obviously, until early next year. What I love about this new name, it's Catalyst Vineyard, by the way. Shocker, if anyone didn't know that. The name Catalyst means that you bring a reaction, a chemical reaction, whilst remaining unchanged yourself. So you're holding firm to your faith, and you are bringing change into situations. When we realize that we are brought near to God, then our presence, our conversations with people brings a change. The way we behave, the way we talk, the way we live our lives, never mind the words that we speak. So it's not always about talking and telling people about God, it's everything else as well. When we are rooted in the fact that we are brought near to God, it brings a change. And that's how we'll be catalysts. That's how we'll step into the name catalyst. We will bring change because we'll be completely secure in the fact that we're brought near to God. What else are we brought near to? We're brought near to others. It says there, uh, in verse 15, that Jesus came to make a new humanity. He destroyed the dividing wall and that we are fellow citizens with God's people. That's verse 19. Fellow citizens with God's people. That means we're meant to be together. Can anyone remember that crazy advert? I want to be together. Anyway, I may be showing my age. We're meant to do this together. We're not meant to do it on our own. We are brought near. We are made fellow citizens. We're made equal. How often do we feel unequal? How often do we feel lower than each other? How often do we put people on pedestals? That whole thing I was talking about, oh, I can't fit over there because I'm really not like them, or I can't speak to those people because, oh my goodness, they're like really confident and they know their Bible, or I can't speak to those people because I, I have no idea what I would say to them because my life's not like them. In, at the end, yeah, I'll come and talk to you. Yeah, hold it. 
you are brought near to one another. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Because we're not meant to do this life on our own. And the way the world around us is, is full of division, isn't it? We're almost wired somehow, even though we don't want to be, even though most of us try really, really, really hard not to be this way, there's something in us, both in the world, in our nation, in our region, in our families, and in our hearts, that creates an element of division. It's a human thing. We have different opinions. We have different likes, different dislikes, different ways of reading things, different interpretations of things. What this passage is saying is that we are brought near to others, that these are our fellow people. Now let's look at what it's not saying. It's not saying that you and I have to agree on absolutely everything in life from this moment on. You're all breathing a sigh of relief. You do not have to agree with everything that everyone says. And quite honestly, that's never going to be the reality of life anyway. I don't know what your family looks like. I come from a family of people who are really passionate about sticking up for one another. Really passionate about being family. The problem is, what happens if you're really, really like solid on, I'm going to stick up for this person, is that if someone disagrees with that person, you're now going to pick sides. And that's just life. But for me, what that looked like was, you can't speak to this person because they've upset this person. And so you can't even be seen in the same room as them. And at a family gathering, you need to decide where you're going to sit. Because if you're seen to sit over here, then what you're saying is you agree with what they're saying and you agree that they're not the right people to sit with. But if you sit over here, then what you're saying is you agree with these people, which means these people don't like you anymore. And honestly, it's a very human thing, something kids experience every day in the playground. We are called to be different, and we're called to be brought near. And that is a, such a challenge in our lives, isn't it? I bet many of you are sat there thinking, there are some situations in my life where I have no idea how to handle them because I do have to pick sides, or I do have to think in a certain way or behave in a certain way. And I'm in no way saying, okay, guys, you all have to go and reconcile absolutely everything in your life right in this moment because Jesus says so. But I am saying that that's what Jesus came for. He came and brought these two people, these two people who were so separate, the Jews and the Gentiles, like their paths wouldn't cross. One was better than the other, depending on which side you were on. And yet what Paul is saying is Jesus came to make them both the same. We are equal. And so how do we live that way? How do we live in a world that is so intent on division? It almost is taught in certain situations, this division. I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to say many other things for fear of being held to them for the rest of my life. 
what I am going to say is that you'll notice in this verse, peace is mentioned four times. God wants us to be people of peace. He wants us to be bringers of peace into situations. And for every situation, that is going to look differently. How do we do that? We have to receive it first, which takes us back to our first point. You are brought near to God. One of the fruits of that is that you'll experience peace in your life. So to be able to bring that into situations means you have to be close to it in the first place. So my challenge to us all is if we want to be a church that brings peace and change to life, if we want lives to be transformed by Jesus, try and catch yourself in a moment in the next few weeks or even months as, it, as the time goes by. Try and catch yourself in two situations. One, I'm not part of that group and so I, I, I can't go and speak to them. Or, I know I should speak to that person because I know they're in need. But I'm kind of scared to do so, so I'm not going to. Try and catch yourself in a situation and ask, Jesus, what do you want me to do in this moment? What do you want me to do? For me, that has looked like walking past someone who's homeless. If I'm honest, I'm not going to lie, terrifies me. The Bible says we are there for these people. The Bible says we have so much to bring and so much to give. And Jesus would absolutely 100% have walked up to that person and taken care of them. But for me, that is terrifying because I could get that badly wrong. Ask yourself, what is the wee thing for me? What is the thing that I could do in the next couple of weeks that would just bring a little bit of change to that? Nothing massive. Ask yourself, what is the thing? And also in those moments where you think, oh, I can't speak to that person because they're not speaking to that person. And, oh, I'll be taking sides if I speak to that person. Or, oh, gosh, have I already taken sides somehow? My challenge to you is not go and speak to that person and tell them, listen, I'm not taking sides anymore because I realize, certainly in my experience, that's not always gone well. My challenge to you is to ask God, speak to God, ask him what he wants you to do in any of those situations and then speak to those closest to you. Get some godly wisdom on what reconciliation really, really looks like in your life. Because there's no one size fits all in these situations. There's no one phrase that will magic family feuds and make them all better. I wish there was. There's really not. We as individuals need to come before God and seek his wisdom and seek wise counsel from one another. And that's why we are brought near to others. Which leads me to the last point is we are brought near to church. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it would be quite nice to just have a super long lie every Sunday, wouldn't it? Like, if we're being honest, we love church. I love God with all my heart. Sometimes it'd be quite nice to have a long lie. And so a little part of me when people say, oh, I don't go to church because, you know, it's the only day off I have in the week and I really just need some rest little bit of me thinks, yeah, I know, I could, I could do with a bit of that in my life. 
We have so many excuses and reasons why we don't want to go to church. Quite often, that comes back to the others thing, because quite often we're hurt by what other people have done, because church is full of people, and sometimes people are not nice. I'm just putting the truth out there. Sometimes we're hurt by people. And that means church can have a really bad uh, image in our minds. What Paul is saying here is that we are no longer foreign. We are members of God's household. And that we are a dwelling place. That means that when we gather together like this, God's presence is here. Because his presence is in every single one of us. I'm not sure that I've been able to find anywhere in the Bible that says, do you know what, just do church at home. Just, you know, put some music on, read your Bible, all will be well. You can correct me. I'm happy for a challenge. I love a challenge. If there's a bit of scripture in here that you think says that, bring it. But everything in these letters and these gospels that I'm reading And even all the way through the Old Testament points to the fact that God loves his church and there he dwells. Even when you go back and look at the tabernacle and where they had the Ark of the Covenant and you go all the way through the Old Testament and all the way through into the Gospels, what is evident? God loves his church. And we look around, we are the church. It's kind of scary, isn't it, when you put it like that? When we look at each other and we think, well, I know what's happening in your life, and I know what's happening in your life, and oh, this is down to us. We're the church. This is a bit scary. It's a big responsibility. God loves his church. When we are with him and when we're with each other, something special happens. His power is so present in these moments. And I know you've felt it. I had a moment earlier on when I'd walked up um, at the back there to just pray and ask God what I was going to be saying here today. And often, by the way, quite often he changes it in those moments. Quite often I come here and think, yep, totally solid, read all my stuff, know what I'm talking about this morning. Get here, nope, you're going to say something completely different. And so here we are again on my final point And God has said something completely different to what's on my piece of paper. What I saw when I stood at the back were so many people just loving God. And I I apologized for being simplistic earlier on. And it's actually a little bit of one of my insecurities is that I quite like to simplify things because I'm a bear of little brain and I need it to be simple to understand it. And so for those of you who are like theological and like really academic words, I'm so sorry. It is as simple as this. Jesus came. He laid the foundation stone it says here the cornerstone. He laid a foundation on, a, on the apostles and he is building. He's building the church right now through you and me. He's building. Jesus is the head of this church and we're following him just like Lindsay followed me down the aisle. That sounds a little bit odd if you're listening back to this, aren't you, doesn't it? He is building. And did you know, I'm not a builder, but trusty Google told me this. 
when you're building a house. The cornerstone is the first stone that is laid in the ground, and from that stone, everything else follows. The direction of the house, where it's going to point, and how it's going to be, follows that one stone. So when that one stone is set, everything else follows. He brings us direction. He shows us where to go, and he is our firm foundation. And so in a world that is all over the place and crazy, gosh, you only have to look at the news to realize that. When the world is all over the place, when your life is all over the place, and I'm not going to lie, mine is too, guys. You might look at us and think, oh, they must have it all together because they're pastors. Really not. When your life is all over the place, there's one thing you can be absolutely certain of this morning is that Jesus is our firm foundation and like you're all over the place come back to him come back to him ask him for some wisdom because he is building he's building his church in you and in me Uh, I had an experience this summer where, if I'm honest, I felt a little bit in that place of just feeling a bit all over the place and a bit kind of far off and felt like I was floating up here somehow, not really grounded in anything, and all my insecurities were absolutely all over the place. I'm quite transparent. You get that now, right? So I had one of these moments, and the thing is, I'd gone to this Christian conference, and what happens, as you may or may not know, is that sometimes when you're having a conversation with God in your own head... Sometimes he tells other people what he wants to say to you. And so I was having a private conversation with God, just me and him, about how, gosh, life is so crazy, Lord. I'm all the way up here, all over the place. I'm supposed to be a pastor. How can I do that when this is all happening and this is happening? And I'm supposed to be confident and I'm supposed to know this and this and this and this. And I'm a first-generation Christian. I haven't had years of people praying over me and blah. You get the idea. Having this personal conversation, just me and God. Thousands of people in the room, no one else knew. Guy from the front announces, someone in here is having a conversation with God, and it goes a little bit like this. I'm all over the place, God, and I really need you to do something. Oh, (laughs) that could be me. It's not me. Don't be ridiculous. There's thousands of people in this room. It's definitely not me. God, I just feel like I'm wandering. I just feel like I'm wandering. I feel like I'm like a helium balloon floating around in the sky. Someone in here is having a conversation with God about how they are wandering and they're just really not sure what direction they're meant to go in. Okay. Well, maybe I should just stop talking. I'm not sure I want you to say anything else. What the person from the front said in that moment is, we need to pray for you because God's got something really important to say. That's where my active part had to take place because I had a decision to make. I could stand here and pretend Quite honestly, let's face it, what are the odds? It's probably not me that he's talking about. So many other people in here. I'm just going to stand here because that's really comfortable. Walking out in front of thousands of people, really comfortable. I chose, thankfully, to walk forward. And people prayed for me. And I'm not going to go into the details because it is 
personal what God did in that moment. I had the sweetest moment with him. But two things happened at the same time. The person from the front is talking about someone whose spirit feels like it's wandering and you don't know whether your spirit is grounded. At the same time as that, the band are playing um, Christ Alone. And there is a, a, a lyric uh, in that that says, uh, Christ Alone, Cornerstone, Weak Made Strong, da da da. And then it says, You are the anchor in my veil. At the same time as that lyric was spoken, someone said, There's a gap somewhere in like a veil thing that I can see and you're worried about that gap and you're trying to fix it and you don't quite know what to do about it but what God is saying is that he's going to fix that at the same time as that God dropped an anchor through this hole in my mind this picture that I had in my mind that anchor was Jesus and the church The anchor came all the way through. It instantly mended the hole in the veil and it rooted me right the way into the ground. Now, I don't believe that that was a picture just for me. I believe that the words we've been singing here today are all pointing to the fact that we all need to remember this, that God and his church are our anchor, that they are our firm foundation. And so if there's any part of you that doubts that, if there's any part of you that is finding this so incredibly difficult to walk in faith or to stay in church or to do life with one another because actually it's easier to do it on your own sometimes. If any one of you are in doubt at the moment, I believe he is saying to you, remember that I am your anchor and I'm your solid foundation.